Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio, where top performers share their secrets to help you achieve your personal and professional goals. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and together, along with my incredible guests, we bring you inspiring and actionable insights to take your life and your business to the next level. This podcast is ranked in the top 2% globally, which makes it, in my opinion, a must-listen, but honestly, it's all because of my truly fascinating guests. So let's dive in. And my guest today, Kelly Lavelle, is a globally recognized expert in global, that's an important word, pay attention, global impact strategy and a serial entrepreneur with an impressive track record of over, I think she said 20 prestigious awards. One of them you're going to recognize. I'll tell you right now, you're going to recognize it. We'll ask her about that. And her passion lies in bridging the gap between formal education and the dynamic skills that are demanded in the, mo- the modern workforce. Her extensive knowledge and experience have made her a highly sought-after speaker and an invaluable advisor to organizations across the world. And she joins us today to discuss the skills needed for the future of work, again, an important topic that we're talking about, and the challenges faced by young talent. We're going to explore emerging job fields that offer exciting opportunities, and examine how digital innovation is reshaping career pathways and skill requirements. Kelly, good morning. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Denise. Well, listen, before, I mean, I introduced you a bit, but do me a favor, if you will, and kind of introduce yourself to the audience, because I know I missed some important things there. Well, actually, you did a a beautiful intro, so thank you for that, Um, and I look forward to um, having this conversation with you as these are topics that I'm quite passionate about and um, hopefully will create some value for our our listeners today. Um, In my own words, I would say that I'm passionate about building bridges of opportunities between sectors, generations, and innovation. So I've always worked at the nexus between public and private sector and and that tapping into that bright emerging group of your under 30 next-gen leaders um, and really helping both sides of the equation, helping public-private sector stakeholders um, build education entrepreneurship policies, youth-led innovation programs, and um, recruitment or talent strategies that can engage and retain that next generation and tap into that the passion and, and innovation that they have. And then the reverse of that, helping young emerging change makers um, access the future skills, education, resources, mentorship, and platforms that they need to uh, foster their talents, accelerate uh, their ventures, many of which, uh, because of the theme of this generation, are um, social impact ventures that are making a more inclusive and sustainable world. And so what you'll notice in a theme when we talk about um, 
these projects and um, some of the um, the points of, of intersection is the theme that everything kind of carries through is um, purpose driven. These are this is a generation that's mission driven that um, cares about uh, the state of the world and so. Over the last five years, a lot of my work has actually been focused around the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. How do we, uh, what is the role of global youth, the largest generation in history, uh, youth generation in history, what is their role in accelerating and achieving the uh, UN SDGs? And most importantly, how do we build spaces for collaboration and intergenerational innovation so we can create solutions that last. So inclusion, um, innovation, impact, those are the three I's <laughs> that I'm passionate about and um, I'm excited to dive deeper into that with you today. Oh, terrific. And you mentioned a word that I was going to actually bring up, which is intergenerational. I think from my experience and from, you know, talking with people around the globe, that there's some, I don't know that misunderstanding is the proper word. I think different generations really don't know how to deal well with each other. And that's what you're here to help with. Yes, well, we, I find that it's always like leaders of tomorrow versus today. And we see a lot of friction and tension uh, between generations when each of us have keys that the other requires. So current generation, um, more seasoned executives and mature leaders have the experience that comes with um, being around the, the, the block a couple times. They have what we would call um, perspectile experience um, and, and, and wisdom that only comes from, from experiencing things firsthand and, and, and seeing things play out and knowing the pitfalls of, of strategies and why something works and why something doesn't. What the new generation offers, though, is that um, um, creative energy, understanding of innovation and technology and how the new world and new economic systems are affecting the way we work and live, how they can be leveraged to transform and solve some of the challenges that we face. So each of them kind of bring a different perspective, and together that's where the magic really happens, where this, like, each one kind of walks away with reverse mentorship in some sense, but also kind of um, filling that circle of perspective to get both fresh, um, unbiased or unjaded eyes on how technologies or tools can be used on a challenge that might have been ingrained or kind of learned um, from a different generation to be just the way things are, where that other generation can add the cautionary elements and considerations on how do you actually make it work in society? What are the, the, the needs that we need to do to um, make technologies and innovations fit within the constructs of our social and political systems and, and what have you. So um, what I like to do is, is create bridges, not to isolate and say one has it all, but really understand that we're co-creating this future. Um, the next generation is going to be in, when we're talking about the U.S. Sustainable Development Goals, the next generation is already within the workplace and will soon be in middle management and most certainly will be in leadership roles by that year 2030. 
So they will be leading or having to continue the decisions that we make today. So if we don't involve them in those conversations, if they don't have participation equity in the solutions that we're creating, in the decisions that we're making, then we're setting ourselves up for failure, for um, rebellion and, and resistance and um, broken communication gaps um, when we reach those tiers and transfers of power happen. That makes sense. Kelly, I have to ask you, what inspired you to pursue this passion? And I'm not going to even call it a current career. It's very definitely a passion with you. How did you get started? Thank you for that question. And, and yes, it is, uh, this is my life's work, something I truly am driven um, by, by purpose and passion for. And I found myself into it as I feel most entrepreneurs will tell you in their own fashion in some way or another. I, I haven't really met an entrepreneur that says kind of, they just aspire to be an entrepreneur. Um, I really believe that leadership at its core is initiative. That what really defines who a leader is, is when they see a, a gap, a problem that needs to be solved. They don't look upon the world and say, hey, look at that. Someone needs to fix that. Why isn't someone fixing that? Fix it. What they see is they see someone needs to fix that. What can I do? How can I help that? How can I move the needle? And they take up the reins to try and bridge that challenge. And that is really how I found myself in this pathway is as um, a young change maker, I went through some um, difficult uh, trials in my teens um, that um, really kind of um, took away the trajectory I had wanted for my future um, and kind of um, threatened to um, uh, prevent me from um, finishing my schooling and kind of building my career and kind of trying to tell me um, what my future was going to hold. Um, and in that moment, um, it really kind of set this fire in me to uh, want to build my own pathway and also kind of open my eyes to the extensive barriers and roadblocks that uh, young people, women, um, social entrepreneurs have when they're trying to solve a, a challenge, when they want to do something good for the community, you'd be surprised at how hard and difficult sometimes it could be to just want to do something good, even like a volunteer project, let's say. So I got involved in community um, building um, student and youth volunteer programs and really researching into the value of community service learning as an alternative to um, education um, in a way to um, bridge skills gaps for youth because I myself had those same gaps. I spent all of my uh, high school pretty much in hospital, so I didn't have a resume. And so when I graduated, if I was to get into school and correct my path, I needed opportunities that I could build my skills. But without a resume, it's kind of a catch-22 because you need experience to get a job and you need a job to get experience. And so uh, the way that I bridged that was volunteering, um, supporting my community, Building up, and in that process, I built this network of connections, of mentors, of support systems that I didn't even didn't have and didn't know I needed to have. Um, I 
was able to build a resume of skills of demonstrating different attributes of marketing and event planning and com uh, community communications and things that quite honestly roles I would normally have to have maybe graduated university before someone would extend me such opportunity. But in the community space, um, we want to take the help that we can get, and sometimes resources are tight. So um, organizations are more willing to take a chance on a bright young girl who, who wants to help. And so um, through these alternative pathways, I discovered a road that was able to help me find my way, find ways to bridge skills gaps, find ways to feel like I mattered, to have meaning and purpose, to uh, build healthy community connections. And so I wanted to bring that to my peers. I said, why can't more young people benefit from these pathways? Uh, we all have barriers for various reasons. Maybe um, we, we come from a low-income community. Maybe uh, we don't have a supportive family. Um, maybe we just need an extra kind of boost because um, our grades aren't great. Or maybe there's other reasons and barriers and we just want to um, change and try new skills but are um, so concerned right now with the social pressures of having to be good at everything that we are scared to make a fool of ourselves and try something new so we never actually explore other skill sets than what we know we're already good at. And so there's so many benefits to what volunteerism and uh, community service learning can offer. And that's really what was the seed for me. I ended up um, starting to build programs that could help connect more young people into these benefits. And as I did that, I ended up building this network of change makers. I would have all these young people in different parts of the world that I was meeting and learning their stories. I, it, it just incredible things that would blow your mind. 18-year-olds um, who de developed cures to malaria, um, 20-year-olds who are developing technologies to restore um, sight to the partially blind, um, innovators that were uh, raising millions of dollars for charity, just things that were incredible. I met nine-year-old CEOs and all these bright young minds. And then I saw this disconnect. Because in industry, um, especially back then, the narrative of like the me generation was quite strong. And so media and industry was seeing, um, at the time, Gen Z didn't really exist. So I guess we were, we were calling the next gen millennials then. But, at the, but it's all one and the same, really. And when you think about it, it was just the, the emerging generation coming into the workforce. Um, and we were having this narrative of um, they're selfish, they're self-absorbed, um, they don't care, or, and all these different narratives that were um, contra contrary to the young people that I was meeting, these bright young innovators who were literally creating solutions that could transform communities in our world. And that inspired me to build a bridge, my first bridge. How do I change the narrative? How do I help these governments and organizations and employers and media 
see the potential that I'm seeing, the, the goodness that I'm seeing, and how that, that goodness could be harnessed in new ways that could actually solve a lot of the challenges that they're looking at. And so the next phase of my journey was I went into media on building um, youth impact uh, productions on helping to share those stories in more concrete ways, um, build uh, educational resources and programs that could foster their skills and help connect these bright young innovators in with um, various um, organizational support networks and resources and helping companies uh, and governments in the process understand the needs, the desires, the drivers of this generation as they had all this firsthand data working with this network. Um, and that's kind of, as it kind of hit to a point, by doing this work, I ended up growing a network of young people at the time. My, my first mark was about to about 60 countries, um, this, this vast network of the brightest young minds you could think of. And so I became somewhat of an expert for governments and, and, um, and brands to um, tap into that talent, to um, understand and work and collaborate with that talent. Um, and that really kind of started the pathway to what would eventually become um, Bridging the Gap Ventures, my organization that specializes in um, intergenerational and interactive or inclusive programming that specifically creates um, these edutainment style activations that bring leaders of today and tomorrow together to solve our, our world's most pressing problems. So each so step each in my journey leads me to another evolution or level of, of becoming the social entrepreneur that I am. And in the process, I, I founded a lot of companies and, and projects that have um, at this point now have upskilled more than 500, more than 5,500 young people in over 170 countries. And that's just within the last three years during the pandemic alone. Um, our networks reach young people in every country of the world, um, and our partners um, collectively serve 30 million young creators, innovators, and social entrepreneurs in each of those countries of the world. So uh, we've built on mass this single streamlined access point that can not just mobilize, educate, and equip the next generation to carry that torch and, and, and trust that they'll be able to uh, continue with these inclusive and sustainable solutions that our world needs, but helping governments and brands tap into that innovation and creativity in a very concrete and tangible way that is received by the generation and, and co-create solutions. So um, that's just a, a shorthand, it's a, a long journey, but um, I think in general, most of our journeys are, if we are purpose-driven, we follow the, the, the pull in our heart to, to continue on a path one step at a time, um, following where that, that journey takes us with a, usually a common theme of building or bridging one specific gap that is that ever deep-rooted seed. And I think for me, that's um, the, the future of, of education and work. How do we um, educate um, 
not just the next generation of workforce, but just in general, our world to be prepared for the emerging economy spaces and innovation that's um, rapidly coming to our experience. That's amazing. Kelly, I have, I have a couple of questions. One is, what are some of your biggest achievements or accomplishments so far, and how did you achieve them? But more than that, if you don't mind sharing, what is your age? Uh, yes, so I am a top 30 under 30 sustainability leader. Um, I would say um, some of my biggest achievements. So when you're early on as a change maker, I think um, the awards definitely help serve as like validation of like, yes, you're on the right track and you're doing something of value. So uh, I think at the beginning, um, some of my earlier awards maybe were more pivotal for me because they really kind of helped catalyze and keep me going when I at the time maybe wasn't sure if uh, of my direction because I, I really created my own job and my own pathway. There isn't really such thing as a, a job title when I first started that was like youth mobilizer that was designed to be this bridge between these generations and, and to really kind of create these edutainment programs the way that I did back then. So um, I would say my first award, which was Canada's Top 20 Under 20, was a real catalyst for me because that's when I was first starting out. And when I received that award, I got to meet um, 19 other uh, young, bright young minds who, like me, were um, mission-driven. And it was in those moments when we were, when we sit around in the circle and we're sharing our stories and they're sharing their work. It was just this really humbling moment for me when you're hearing, oh, I raised a million dollars for, for, um, for this cause. And, oh yeah, I entered near this cool technology that does this. And you're just sitting there and um, the, the, the bar just was raised to the stratosphere for me of like, these incredible young people are doing all these things like they just inspired a fire in me to want to do more to be more to to continue to better myself and my peers in the process um so that's a very special award for me because i think it really not only served as validation for my work to continue on that path but gave me an, an insight into the minds of other young change makers in a way that helped create um, a new drive and um, oh, fire to want to share their stories to create um, opportunities for them. A more significant one in my journey that most listeners and, and so on will probably more take note of um, in, my, in my bio would be um, when I met um, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Um, when I was 23, I received uh, the Queen's Young Leader Award, which is uh, an award given by Her Majesty um, in recognition of young people under the age of 30 in the Commonwealth who are leaving a transformative legacy of change. And that was a really surreal opportunity because it wasn't just an award. They, it was a very like princess diaries kind of moment because they, they flew me to uh, London. Uh, I got to stay there for 10 days, meet um, all the leaders, go to 10 Downing Street, and then receive my award in person um, from the Queen um, in front of the entire royal family inside Buckingham Palace. 
So <laughs> that was quite an experience to have in my early 20s. And um, there are, I'm sure there's more that I could go on. But again, as much as the, 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 the glamour of that experience may have been, the thing I take away from it and the memories that I hold dear are, again, similar to Canada's Top 20 Under 20, the, the times when I'm sitting around in, in um, a, a lounge area with my fellow recipients from other Commonwealth countries and learning their perspectives uh, of various challenges. And specifically for this award, um, I had been a little bit further along in my journey, so I was much more exploring um, social impact and how do I create programs for young people that were supporting them to implement projects um, or scale social ventures. And what I found very interesting about the Queen's Young Leader Award was you, I, had to, I got to meet young people from different Commonwealth countries, and so you have, we're talking about an issue like climate change, and you could hear and see a perspective from someone from New York or Canada uh, in Toronto sharing their perspective of climate change. And then I got to hear the perspective of someone from a small island state, from a small Pacific island, um, or from the Maldives, or a Malta, and these other spaces where their, their culture, their um, personal experience, and their resources were different from what I was used to um, from the Americas or the West. And uh, it's in those moments that I realized the power of inclusive innovation, of how inclusion when it comes to innovation isn't just about checking off boxes for DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, because it's good for optics, as companies think. It's, it's good for the actual innovation itself, because when we have different lived experiences in diversity of thought, we come up with more lasting and um, fitting solutions to the challenges that we're seeing because we innately have biases based on our perspectives or lack of experience when it comes to addressing climate change in the Maldives if someone was to do that without actually having to see it every day and experience it, they're not going to see the same root causes and um, contributing factors um, the same way that someone's living and breathing it. And that for me was what planted the second seed that was really around how do we create these inclusive innovation spaces, global collaborations, and um, overall cooperative environments that don't just mix generations and sectors, but also mix nations and lived experiences. Um, which has become um, the crux to some of Bridging the Gap's award-winning programs where we specifically uh, are known for being able to forge these unique bridges between United Nations officials, heads of states for governments, mixed in with um, C-suite leaders of, of companies or different sectors of someone in tech versus someone in media and entertainment, and bringing them together in unique spaces where they're interacting with um, people of different lived experiences um, and backgrounds in a way that everyone takes something from that experience. Everyone walks away with learning something new, and everyone creates 
inspired solutions that together fit both the global challenges that they're addressing with localized um, um, approaches to those challenges. Understood. So, Kelly, what are some of the major challenges that young talent faces in the widening skills gap and in their education? And listen, I agree with you. I think a standardized education has probably damaged, I, I don't know that you said this, I'm going to say it, has probably damaged more people than it has helped. But that's just my opinion. So the challenge that we face right now is um, we have to understand that the education system that is currently here, it was built for a, a different economy and an yep. older system of living. And so it's, there's no, it's not to say that there's one specific fault to another. It's more understanding the fact that we're now trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, that our new economy with the rapid evolution of technology um, and the, the, the globalization, uh, the access to information, all these things are changing the way we work, live, and think. It's also changing the way that we see ourselves, how we um, interact with people, and it is in some sense also changing our capacity for knowledge and, and wisdom with that being said. And so the skills that we need are changing, naturally so, but our education systems right now are a little too rigid um, to allow for the rapid evolution that our economy is facing. So it's kind of like the tortoise and the hare, right? You have, you have one going at one speed and one going at another speed. And it's, again, it's not to kind of harp on one system or another, but it's to understand the, the central root cause of the issue is that we're learning outdated skills. And what's happening for specifically this younger generation is they are experiencing the consequences of that when they go to university for four years learning skills that by the time they graduate university, the, the coding languages that they've learned, the systems of thought, um, all of the tools and technologies that they, that they learned, in some cases are already outdated by the time they enter the workforce. Because I'll give a very tangible example that really kind of helps put this in perspective. As part of my ventures, eventually after media, I went into tech and we were building um, kind of impact verification technologies and things for the UN SDGs. And so when I was working with our, our tech company, um, we, we started with a, a language in a coding language. It was called like in Node.js is a very popular language and there's Angular and all these different things. And so we started with like Angular 1. Um, and then by the time you, you, you fast forward like a year if you, or so and then you're like at Angular 7. And then there's like Angular 12 and Angular 12 and Angular 1 are not compatible with each other. So the technologies change so quickly that what we're seeing at its fundamental core, if we were to take away all the, the kind of the, the layers and actually look what is the crux of this challenge, aside from the fact that it can't keep up, which we understand, but what, what, why are the skills mismatching? The skills are mismatching because our system is built on designing to um, memorize knowledge and hard skills. Fixed knowledge, mm -hmm. knowledge and, hard, and skills. hard skills. I agree. So when we have fixed knowledge and hard skills, it is innately not valuable and flexible to evolve with the changing economy. 
So what we're seeing is a need to change and evolve our ways of learning to no longer be fixed skills and, and, and knowledge, but instead be lifelong learning. This is a generation that is going to continue to upskill and reskill for their careers. And this, I will say, these effects are not just for the next generation. This is for our current listeners of any age who are in the workforce. We are seeing a need that employees and leaders will continue to need to learn and upskill and reskill and expand and change their knowledge in the way that they work and live in the world. And so because of that, the emphasis on hard skills no longer uh, is viable because now we need the skills of the future are things that are less tangible, which is hard for education systems to get around in the same way our old structures were. But the real skills of the future that will help you succeed are more fostering innate character traits of um, a solutions mindset, of not seeing things fixed, but always allowing room for evolution, improvement, and continuous learning and feedback loops, um, resilience. Um, initiative, being able to be um, self-directed so I can learn things on my own without someone holding my hand or walking me through a course. I can research and find things, and, and if I don't know something, take initiative to figure it out. Um, these are innate things that are essential to survive in our current job landscape. Um, and most important skills are things like creativity, design thinking, curiosity, which you wouldn't even see with a skill, but it Actually, is. I, to I just over wrote down, I have, I'm sorry to interrupt, I just wrote down the word curiosity, and there you said it. So we're thinking alike here. Curiosity is one of the most undervalued and essential skills for the future of our economy because curiosity in and of itself, in my opinion, is kind of the best mix of all the essence of skills that you need. It has the essence of lifelong learning, of always wanting to look ahead and, and be open to knowing that you don't know it all and you, that you have that little door, that little space that you can always have one more skill added to your toolbox, one more thing that you can learn. And you're open, most importantly, to change. You're not scared. You don't feel fear of uncertainty and change. You are open and receptive to it, which is so essential in uh, today's landscape. And you also mix that with the creativity and imagination to explore, to think about things differently than how they appear, to consider outcomes that may not be standard. These are all things that we need to, quite honestly, just survive even mentally in today's world. Because if we keep that fixed mindset, we will be completely demolished by the rapid changes of this world and disheartened. And it, it would just be a very dark and gloomy world if you are not open and receptive to change and are holding on to that sinking ship of the Titanic, knowing it's going down, but and just won't let go to allow yourself to float and drift into wherever the future's headed. Um, it's scary. Uh, the water's freezing cold. Uh, you may get pneumonia on the way, but 
the, the, the essential essence is we can't hold on to the structures and systems that no longer serve our world. Uh, and the only way forward is to allow and to be open and most importantly, to take initiative to find our way forward. And that initiative to find our way forward in and of its core is deeply connected and tied to um, that lifelong learning, that ability to know that you, there's always space to learn something new or um, to not know it all and to be allow space for the unexpected, the unanticipated, um, the, the new, the different. Um, and then that in and of itself opens up the spaces that we need for conversations across the board of inclusion, of sustainability, of innovation and creativity and all these other things that we've been discussing. I love this. I'm, you, I'm scribbling down notes like crazy. One of the questions I have is what strategies can individuals of any generation adopt to upskill for the digital economy, including Web3? Look, I'm a web developer. I'm, I'm aware of what's going on. And I'm intensely curious, which is why I wrote that question, Dan. So I'm always learning something new. Every, like, I'll be honest with you. I cannot go to bed <laughs> at night or go to sleep at night. with it. I'll be looking at what did I learn today that was new. Well, crud, and off I go back to my office and I go learn something. It may just be something, okay, I'm going to look into that tomorrow, but I have to have something new to, you know, quench my curiosity, to upskill myself. Yes, as I said, curiosity is the most valued golden skill of this new age because as you said it's that it's that little um it's that little kind of nudge the little niggle that keeps you moving forward and thinking differently or exploring and searching and um i can't emphasize enough how valued that is and how um, important it is to try to foster that in your life so i'm so glad to hear that uh to answer your question um i think uh, there's two things we need to understand. First, I, I'm going to answer your question with, with a, a little bit of follow me with this and you'll understand. So the first thing you need to do, honestly, to prepare for any digital economy, um, emerging technologies, innovation, is to break down all your boundaries and barriers and silos of sectors of I'm a left brain or a right brain thinker. I'm logical and you're creative. You're science and I'm social arts and humanities. Um, you're the creatives and the artists. You go over there and, this, and the mathematicians and the scientists will go here and musicians here. We need to stop the separation and the silos. And the reason being is you just mentioned it. Web3 is an exact example of this. Web 2 and our education systems and everything of the old economies are duality. They are around silos and separations. But what we're noticing now and what you'll see in all these emerging technologies, and Web 3 is an example of this, is now we're seeing a merging of sectors, of skill sets, of thinking. We're moving from left and right brain um, fields being separate to being whole and integrated. In Web 3, if I want to be a developer, I need spatial awareness and design thinking and uh, visual skills if I'm designing metaverses in, in NFTs and digital spaces. If I'm now a digital, if I'm now an artist, 
I can't have a career without knowing digital skills because uh, everything is done now on digital softwares. I can have digital display galleries. I can add motion graphics. I can make things 3D and move and all of these things which require me to have digital skills in addition to the visual and design elements that I would have before. Our career pathways and our skill sets are merging. So the best thing anyone can do to prepare for the future of jobs is to toss out any preconceptions that your trajectory, you only need one field of thinking and you only need to focus on one um, kind of category of skill. The best thing that you can do is actually start to nurture whatever skill set is opposite to the category you're in. So if you are in a digital field, a STEM field, Think about STEAM. What kind of arts and creativity skill could you add in? Could you start to do something around spatial awareness and design thinking, even if it's a game or something that's just a hobby, but that's going to foster that side of your brain and though that different pathway of thinking? If you're an artist, can you start to take up coding or something um, more um, analytical so you can understand structural design and and Architecture is a great example. The, the mathematics beyond the visual, these careers are um, so integrated now that the best thing that you can do is figure out where you're dominant, what skill sets come naturally to you, and start to integrate one thing that's doing something of opposite nature to those skill sets so you can start to nurture the other side of you. And I can hear people going, oh, geez, <laughs> that sounds like work. It is work. And the thing is, and you mentioned it, left brain, right brain, I tend to think I'm both. I'm very logical, very analytical, linear thinker, but I'm also intensely creative, so I can't be one or the other. Honestly, we all are both. We have the full brain. Uh, We are both. But this is a perfect example. We're so conditioned in the way that our society has been set up and our careers and our institutions that we're, we're taught from so early on we have to pick a path. And it's almost like that once you pick that team and you're on that path, you've like dissociated and disconnected from those other parts of you. And they will come out in some spaces, like, and you won't even notice them. Maybe it's just that, you're, like you say, you're very technical and things, but then, I don't know, you have a passion for gardening and, and floral arrangements, and you're having a creative outlet in ways in your life that you don't even, even notice it at first. And so I think even a step um, back, a step even like step zero before step one might even be just becoming more aware of what skills you're using in a daily basis and how different parts of you come out in your um, social, personal, and um, professional lives. Because maybe you do have these dormant um, passions and traits and it's just that you've dissociated so much from them because you've been so career-oriented within the sphere, in the lane that your career is oriented in, that you've, you've missed the influence of some of those other attributes of your being and um, those other skill sets and how they um, play a role in your life. So I will say most of us are usually both. Um, It's just that we are usually more dominant with one than another. And if we get too comfortable, we foster and stretch it just like a muscle, right? It's, it's like if you're, if you're, okay, if you're training in the gym 
it's like we have two arms and we start in the gym and maybe we're right-handed so we're our right hand is maybe a little bit more strong so we start taking up a weight on the right hand just because it's easier it's more natural for us so we're going to start on the right and then we just forget that we're just doing the right and so you just keep strengthening the right and you just keep doing your arm curls and your arm curls sooner or later you're going to have one really jacked arm and one arm that has zero um uh, kind of attention to it um and so innately you're going to feel more um dominant and less balanced because you've paid so much attention to the one types of of, of category of thought and skills for so long that um, you may think, I don't have another arm. I just have the one arm because I've been using it so much. But you really do have the other. It's just you haven't looked at it in maybe a while. I'm laughing because I'm ambidextrous mostly because I forget that my left hand works just as well as my right hand does. So I will have to remind <laughs> myself to you know punch numbers with my left hand. I've always used a calculator with my left hand. But I'm predominantly right-handed if I had to pick one. But every once in a while, uh, Denise, you know, that's not just for hanging rings on. Use it. Go use your hand. Yes, yes. And with that being said, and I'm, I want to also emphasize um, for our audience that we're talking about um, schools of thought and overall categories of skills. It does not mean that you have to love every single thing. Like if you're not, not everyone is a, is a, is a, is a visual artist and can draw amazing portraits. I'm not saying all of a sudden, if you're not good at drawing portraits, like start to take up your sketching skills and, and be, and you have to master it. Um, there's so many, there's so much variety in the category of skill. Um, like for instance, uh, someone who's, I'm a very visual person and I'm a very creative person. I can be very analytical, but I, I prefer, and I, my favorite subjects in school growing up were actually the reverse. There was science and math and I, I specifically never fit in because I love science and math, but I had such a creative spirit that the, the science and STEM groups didn't feel that I belonged, and then my creative groups didn't feel like I belonged either. So I was just kind of the odd one out. But what I will say is, with that being said, like I I I, I practice different skills. I can under I I can I learn about code to enough that I understand the way of thought of of database design and data analysis and things. That doesn't mean that I have to love Excel and torture myself creating Excel extensive Excel Excel formulas just because I I need to practice something that is different from my um, my natural default. Um, so I just wanted to press, like, just emphasize that, that there is a, it's a category of thought and skill. It does not mean you have to specifically work on a skill that you know you're terrible at or just creates, that doesn't bring you very much joy. Um, or I you can outsource that piece. Yes. I'm, as I mentioned, <laughs> exactly. I'm a web developer, and I have a, I have a team. I really do. But I'm smart enough, and I know enough, that I can ask them to do precisely what I need. And I can do it all myself. I don't want to. I shouldn't have to. I have a team. But they are in it all day, every day. They're learning skills that I've already, as you mentioned, forgotten. But I know I'm smart enough to say, okay, I need this. And this is the way I've done it. Can you give me any better ideas? So yeah, we have to we have to stay on top of what we know and what we don't know. Because we don't know what we don't know anymore. We just don't. 
And you know, a really easy way to do this as well, especially for anyone who's listening who's in management or a leadership role within their company, is actually, honestly, is to take an interest in your team and actually just learn from your team of just starting to understand the way they approach and think uh, about things. So when you have a task, like you said, you don't need to do it. You have a team, but you understand enough to be able to, one, give them the support they need when you're assigning them tasks because you understand enough about what they're doing to be able to articulate your, let's say, um, your um, market requirements into technical requirements or what have you. But in another way is also just having some conversations sometimes, like uh, let's say you're in the tech department and then we bring in the, the visual designer who's doing the UX, UI and um, kind of the marketing element and just kind of asking them, how would you approach this? Or how do you see this? Uh, tell me um, what's, and just like having a conversation with the, you or like, what's, what are you seeing right now in the industry? Like that, that's interesting and new. Um, what is your perspective on AI? How does this affect you? Like, honestly, we can learn so much by even just, looking into other people's minds. And I mean that with like a very positive, good intent behind it. I, I don't mean like psychoanalyze them, but just understanding and just for a minute, just trying to see the world um, and or a, a work project through the eyes of someone who innately has different dominant skills and uh, default mindsets isn't great practice as well to stretch that muscle without having to um, go as deep maybe as, like I said, mastering a skill that's counter to what you're uh, used to. Exactly. I learned a long time ago by accident, I suspect, that even though I can do every single thing I ask them to do and I keep up on it enough to know that things have changed, I was also the bottleneck. Because I had my own ways of doing things. I'm a little bit pig-headed. And I would just say, okay, do this, do this, do this. Thank you very much. They would do it. But eventually I thought, you know, I'm not getting any feedback. So I set up calls with each one of them and say, listen, I know I actually hired you for this particular part of my, my team because you're better at this than I am. What can you tell me? How can you share information with me how can you help me and then how can I help you bottleneck broken permanently so my my point is get out of your own way and get curious yes Denise I could have said it better uh honestly you just also underscored another skill that's kind of what I'll call uh, we'll call these the silent skills (laughs) the skills that are so necessary but they're so like yeah you, you don't even think of them as skills, as you just pointed out another one around humility, of, of, of always leaving that room that you know someone in your team can be better at something than you, and you respect and honor that to a point that it actually helps foster deeper wisdom and knowledge for yourself by creating the space for someone to teach you, to allow them to show you a different way of going about something. And honestly, if I, I think if more leaders had that approach, so many bottlenecks and um, actually even productivity and cost savings could happen because there's so much right now of institutions resisting change to a point that they're using outdated systems or ways of doing things and just because they're comfortable with having done it for so long and this is the way they've always done it. But that may have been 
They, and one, at one point in our, in our time, we used to manually have human calculators that their entire job was to calculate math problems and numbers and crunch numbers for a company and then comes along the calculator. So all because the of the way they used to do it. I yes. saw a slide yes. rule in a glass case the other day and I laughed. See? Like, so, oh my God. So all because that's the way we used to do it and have a human calculator, it's long, it's tedious, and there's human error, but we can continue to do it that way if it makes the, the CEO feel better. But if we were open enough and we're humble enough to just to have the humility to think that we might not know it all, that there might be a better way of doing this, then lo and behold, there, there could be this brilliant calculator that saves your company money, time, reduces your staff costs. There's so many other things that that benefit could have been there if we were just open to allowing someone else to show us a different way. And so I think that that in and of itself is an important skill and character trait for our changing world. It is. And I have to mention this. This is several years back. I was in a furniture store that has now gone out of business. And they were looking up something for me in their computer, and I'm standing at the side, and I said, is that MS-DOS? It was. They're out of business. Go figure. <laughs> yes. So that it's really around, as I said, it's about changing with the times, and those who resist change, and it, it, we're just holding on to something that we know is an inevitable um, shift. And so... The sooner we learn that we don't know it all, that we can't know it all, and that's not a default or anything to say about our intelligence, our potential, our skill sets. It's impossible to know it all in a time that we have technologies that did not exist when we apparently learned it all. It's impossible to know it all when there are jobs that we don't even know yet exist. Um, we, we don't know how things are going to change. We, we, we can't know what the future holds because we've never been at this point before. And so when we come with that, that attitude of, of curiosity, so we replace the fear of that change and that unknown with a, a curiosity um, to explore and, and consider new possibilities. And we mix that with the humility to acknowledge the fact that we will have gaps in our knowledge and skills and then have the lifelong learning or the initiative to want to fill those skills, those are the essentials for the emerging economy. And what's so beautiful about that is they're also so equalizing because everyone from any part of life stage of any part of the world can foster those skills and those mindsets because it's, it's it, their mindsets, their character traits. They're, it doesn't matter if I have access to an Ivy League school or I have access to no school. These essential toolkits to the future are, are at its baseline. Obviously, once I get past the baseline and I want to take the next step, that's a different story. But where we all start is the same. Having those resilient uh, skill sets, are things that we can all start to nurture in our daily lives now, regardless of our situation. And I think that in and of itself can unlock so much potential, untapped potential in our world of uh, 
talent in unforeseen places and unexpected sectors where we might find individuals and talents that um, in places we weren't looking. And I think that's incredibly exciting and um, encouraging in a time when there's so much going on that uh, seeks to discourage us and make us feel small and um, helpless. It, it's, I think it's encouraging to know that we can choose the path of our future and we can choose the steps that we're going to take and the direction because it starts with those essential um, character traits that we can foster in our own personal day by day. And that leads me to my next question and possibly last question. We've only got about three minutes left. This went really quickly. But my question is, which emerging job fields right now are offering really promising opportunities for the future? Where should people be looking? Yes, yeah, so you mentioned Web3. Um, one thing that I would say that is a little bit more uh, concrete within that, because I know Web3 is a big category and people have different opinions of it, but overall I will say my definition of Web3 is just new um, integrated technologies of the future. So Web3 does not mean and directly mean crypto. It can mean a variety of um, integrated new web uh, fields, including metaverse, um, blockchain. Um, there's a lot of other facets to Web3 that people don't think about. So one of the emerging fields that I think is very promising is actually uh, 3D design. So there's so much you can do with 3D design when you're looking at now um, company websites and products that they're going to be having like virtual 3D shopping experiences um, when you can use it in, in marketing, consumer markets, but then metaverses, um, arts galleries, um, you can get into digital architecture um, and starting to make um, kind of virtual environments. It's very transferable skill that will cross-cut most industries, and there's very little talent right now in that field. So it's a very promising field for anyone who wants to kind of change careers. It just it cross-cuts into every sector, entertainment, technology, uh, PG, um, uh, products and goods. It, it just cross-cuts everywhere. So um, that's one skill I think that's really cool emerging market. Um, some other emerging markets obviously are around um, sustainability. Um, there's a lot now around regenerative um, design in terms of business models, uh, regenerative supply chains, um, sustainability and, and policy. So there's a lot of obviously uh, careers in green jobs when it comes to the green and blue economy. Um, so understanding uh, supply chains and uh, regenerative modeling could be a very um, interesting field. Everyone's talking about AI. Um, I think we need to look more into policy around um, AI more than um, just the technology itself. Um, so there's things like that as well. Obviously a lot of technology jobs, but um, I wanted to list a few that might be a little different that we might not have, have thought about yet. Um, a food innovation is another big one. Um, so lots of alternative pathways there. Um, sustainable agriculture, vertical farming, um, a lot of interesting spaces popping up. And again, what's interesting about these spaces is you don't need pre-existing knowledge to start in these spaces. Emerging markets allow you to start at kind of ground zero and 
be able to learn because everyone in the industry is learning to a point and there's so many resources and pathways that other people are setting up to help people get into the spaces that it's not like you have to come with a huge resume ahead of time to start. You can decide to dapple in it, dip your toe into it, and find your way and build a career quite efficiently and quickly within some of these spaces. Kelly, I sincerely appreciate your company today. This has been fascinating. I'm a nerd in stiletto, so anytime you start talking geeky stuff to me, I'm all in. I've really enjoyed this. So spending time with you has been a genuine pleasure. Before I let you go, would you mind sharing your online presence and your preferred means of contact for those who are listening who wish to learn more about you? Thank you so much for having me and for everyone who uh, joined us in this conversation. You can find me at bridgingthegapx.com, all one word. Uh, My name is Kelly Lavelle, so love with two L's, L-O-V-E-L-L. You can Google that and you'll find a slew of resources. Um, specifically, one thing I want to plug just here at the end is if you're interested, if, if anything that we just talked about and are interested in exploring emerging fields, um, as well as some of these intergenerational creative collaborations for the UN SDGs, all of that comes to a, point, a nexus in our signature program at Bridging the Gap, the Yunga Fest- World Festival. So the Younger World Festival happens every year in the fall. Uh, this year we're actually going to be having it alongside COP28. So if you Google YoungerWorld.com, Y-O-U-N-G-A-W-O-R-L-D.com, um, you will be able to learn all about the festival. Uh, we work with, we bring United Nations um, entities, uh, companies, and uh, young innovators in 170 countries together to co-create solutions to uh, pressing global challenges of climate, um, inclusion, mental health, and, and so on. So I highly encourage you to take a look at that if you have a moment. It's a great space to foster that curiosity and to dapple into some of these emerging technologies or industries and learn about it in um, some really kind of collaborative spaces between generations and sectors. Kelly, thank you so much. And to the audience, as we end today's episode, I would really appreciate your feedback. If you found our chat and our insights helpful and enjoyed the show, please support us by reviewing and rating on iTunes. Your feedback is crucial in my mission to inspire and empower more individuals. So don't forget to subscribe, review, and share your partner in Success Radio with your friends and colleagues And thank you for tuning in. Kelly, again, thank you so much. Thank you, Denise, and thank you, everyone, for joining. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.